Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Seducing Aliveness. I'm Jen Halterman, one of your hostesses, and it is so great to be here with you today. This is show number three of our premiere week of Seducing Aliveness with myself and Tamara Yonker, who will be joining me shortly. And I just want to welcome you all as we dive into the, t- the topic today for the show is care and feeding of our aliveness. We have talked about that we're not dead yet in previous show. We talked about what is seducing aliveness. And today we are going to be talking about the care and the feeding, the nurturing of our aliveness. And so if you would like to join us live in the chat room, you can do that by going to the show page itself on Blog Talk Radio. And you will be able to scroll down on the episode page and there is a chat room there. And you can just watch what goes on in the chat room or if you log in as just a listener of Blog Talk Radio, you will be able to add your comments, and we love to have your comments and share them in the show as well. And if you are unable to be on Wi-Fi or have it drop off for some reason during the show, we have plenty of phone lines where you can call in and just listen to the show as you're in your car or in the office, whatever you're doing with a little earbud in your ear. (laughs) That number to call in and listen to every show is six. Five seven three eight three zero five three one, and we look forward to having you and interacting with you in the chat room. And at some point, we'll probably take some colors. I don't know. We just follow a whim. You know, Tamara and I are sporadic, so we just do what feels natural at the time. So, but you're always welcome to go and listen there on the phone lines. There's plenty there for you to listen. So, without any further ado, I'm going to check in with my uh, co-host because. She's having one of those days where she's living her life and doing the show. So welcome, Tamara. Good morning. <clears throat> yes, I am Hello. Currently, sitting out, currently sitting outside, uh, coming to you live from Hutch Cafe in, in downtown Denver. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's where I am this morning. Just got myself a bagel sandwich. <laughs> there you go. Well, and... That's something I wanted to bring up that I think is actually part of this show and part of our aliveness is that Tamara and I are really committed to continue living our lives, even though we're doing a show five days a week. <laughs> exactly. Well, we Sometimes, have to. I mean, yeah, I don't think we could revolve our whole, I don't think we could, well, I wouldn't certainly want to actually revolve my whole life around the show. The show is something that adds to my life. The show is is something that's fun and enhances my life, but life goes on. And I have an appointment for a float in an hour, so I wanted to make sure that I was going to be there on time. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Wow, I love that you are actually having an appointment for a float. Um, wow. Do you want to tell people what that is? Because I, it's one of the things that feeds my aliveness. In fact, I've got on my plans to go and do a float myself as something mm. that feeds my aliveness. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, cause I literally scheduled this appointment weeks ago, completely forgetting that, you know, I'm now doing a show five days a week at 8 a.m. And, and then literally yesterday morning at 5 a.m. is when I re- remembered. I was like, Ooh, oh, oh. I have a float at nine and a show at eight. Uh, and I live in Fort Collins, which is an hour and 15 minutes away from Denver. So how's that going to work? <laughs> and um, 
I, uh, so so this point this float is when you go and you uh, float in a salt bath essentially and you literally there's enough saline in the water that you literally float. It's something that I've been wanting to do for decades, and I finally did it for the first time. It was one of those Groupon deals, and I just grabbed it. I was like, I'm gonna finally do this, and I I came for the first yeah. time a few weeks ago and just was like, oh yeah, I knew I was gonna love that. That's so awesome, and so. Now I, uh, I grabbed a girlfriend. I was like, "Hey, who's wanting? Who's been wanting to try it?" I'm like, "Let's go! Let's go do it!" So um, we're gonna we're gonna float this morning. It's just the most amazing. Um, I mean, it, to me, it's without going into like a, a weight a grab anti gravity chamber where you're weightless. Like you just when when your uh-huh. whole body can be relaxed and you just float uh-huh. and you know diff, drift off. To me, it was like a deep, deep, deep meditation. 90 minutes. Oh, yum. Talk about feeding aliveness. <laughs> Nurturing oh, absolutely. <laughs> right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love floating. I, I discovered floating um, after my daughter died, actually. And that was how every time that I would come to the Salt Lake Valley where my son lives, um, he and I would go and float and, and they, the place in Salt Lake is, that I would go to at the time had two different pods and different rooms and they were the pods, not the kind of cabins uh-huh. or tanks. Yeah. And he and I, we would just meet and go and almost like we didn't have conversation until we were done floating. We would each come out of our private float rooms and then we were like ready to commune. We were ready to talk. We were ready to share. And I think that that actually, for both of us, um, it literally saved us during those months of intense grief to be able to mm. go to that sensory deprivation, to go to that space of complete surrender, relaxation. And then we could look into each other's eyes and be present because our time between would be anywhere from two to six weeks. And so there was so much pain and, and disconnect in between those times as you're in that really intense grief stage that to float and then look into each other's eyes, so present with ourselves that we could be present with each other, I believe that saved our lives literally during that time. I, I really, truly believe that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Uh, that that whole thing of, of nurturing our body, nurture, nurture, nourishing our soul, whatever you want to call it, um, I, I can't live without it. Like truly, there the, yeah. find ways for you, whatever that is. Um, you know, good food for me, like really good food. Um, getting out in nature, walking, being outside. I mean, today it's been it's been snowing. Um, the last few days, and today we have a big blue sky, sun on my. I'm sitting in my car. <laughs> I'm sitting in my car outside the cafe. Oh. I've got. I've got the sun coming in the window, and it's glorious, glorious. The sun is something that really feeds my aliveness for sure. I am a sun baby, a sun worshiper. I love having the sun on my skin and just feeling that um, warmth. It's it's like a big hug. <laughs> so, you know, but, but, but oh. I have to have these things. Like, I, these things are required in my life every day, whatever that is. Um, I'm a real tactile person, so the way things feel on my body textures, uh, whether it's the, you know, the texture of the, the upholstery on my sofa or the sheets in my bed or the chair I'm sitting in or, 
you know, like I touch everything all the time. People make fun of me when I even just go to the grocery store and I'm like touching everything and in any kind of store, the tactile touch, 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 got to get the feel of things. And these things feel, feed my aliveness. So it can be simple things um, that, you know, like I said, just, just feeling the, the texture of something on my, on my skin feeds my aliveness, but you have to be attuned to that. So it's a, it's like, ask yourself right. what, what feeds the aliveness of your body, your soul, your being, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then give yourself that gift. You'll, your body, your being will thank you for it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, and to have that awareness, to give yourself permission to, to admit, which to me now it sounds ridiculous to say to myself, but I remember when I had a very hard time admitting, acknowledging to myself, because I had so many judgments in the way about it, that there were certain things that it was okay that I require, that I demand of myself to, to put in my life to be kind to myself, to nurture me, to feed my aliveness. That was, you know, because I was raised to think that anything that was only for my good was completely selfish and wrong and bad. And so for me, it took some time to go, yeah, I know nobody else is going to benefit from this, but, but if I have no like comfort in my space, everybody pays. And so I'm going to make sure that I am comfortable in my living space, whether it be with the couches I have or the blankets or the throw pillows or the music that fills the space. Giving myself that permission was actually a step I had to take before I could receive the nurturing and care and feeding of my aliveness. And that, to me now, I'm like, that's asinine. But back then, that was, I had real terror about being judged as selfish. Totally get that. And that is so true. And I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, I grew up in a household where my father uh, was very uh, self, uh, you know, he, he consumed, right? Self-consumed, just kind of all yeah. about him. And so uh, whatever, and he, he has pride in being able to put up with anything, right? Came from the military. So I can sleep on a bench with no, you know, and never complain and all that kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> And and being a very sensual, tactile person, um, you know that, that if you if you were to say, uh, even in the house, like it's a little cold in here, can we turn up the heat? That, that we weren't allowed to touch the thermostat, right? Like, no, it was just he didn't care. He didn't no. he didn't care about anybody else's um, well-being if it was going to inconvenience him or cost more money or. You know, he didn't agree with it. Like in the summertime, too much air conditioning, that's cost too much money, stuff like that. So, so I was the same way. Like I, I kind of learned it's, it's not, uh, my desires for my well being are not important. They're just dismissed, they're invalidated. And so it took me a long time, like you're talking about, to really give myself permission to want what I want, like, and be okay with it and say, I'm going to spend a little extra money on this because I prefer it or I enjoy it or whatever, because that was something I didn't grow up with. And I had to give myself that gift. And I noticed what I noticed was how much it enhanced my life, how much it was a contribution. And I started noticing and I was like, Oh my God. And I would deprive myself of this for what reason? It's amazing how many people consider deprivation noble. Like they're proud of it. Like, look how well I can discipline and deprive myself of, 
of these things and it's I'm so awesome because I can and I'm like okay that's one point of view but I am finding that I enjoy being alive in my body far more it's life is you know yesterday we used we're juicy my life is far more juicy when I give myself what my body's asking for those things that feed my aliveness for sure absolutely it is so fascinating to me how much you know like whether it is a dominant parent or whatever that is you know this is my kingdom you will live according to my ruling and how that plays out in society well I'm not cold why should I accommodate that you're cold I'm not cold and it's very fascinating to me how that that plays out in households now for me to be selfish as a child I was one of 10 children, 10 that were there on the weekends. I was one of 10. Are you kidding? If I made it all about me, it did have an impact on others. But there was this sense of not just be considerate of the entire community of family, but don't be self-ish. Don't be self-absorbed. Don't make it about you was the message, which was such an interesting thing when I realized, oh, I can absolutely teach my children to take care of themselves and consider the greater good or the bigger picture and not make them wrong for, you know, at those times when they can take care of themselves or spoil themselves or whatever that is to indulge that. Absolutely go for it. But but to just tap into our awareness of that is so different. And I, it wasn't even a blip on the radar in the world that I was in during those formative times. So I took that as never put myself first, ever, period, always sacrifice. And it was noble. Yeah. I mean, good grief. It was to be the martyr at a family party or a church event was like the crowning grace, you know, who's the biggest martyr. It's like a contest. (laughs) And I laugh at that now, but I can see where if there had just been a little bit more awareness added, instead of being afraid of being selfish, instead of being what, what is vital for me and, is there anything else I need to be aware of of the entire environment? I think my I would have more ease with receiving. <clears throat> well, I, I think you're bringing up a really interesting. Um, you know, we all grow up in an environment where our uh, what is right and wrong, or like you know, noble sacrifice, be the martyr. It's a contest. Whoever is the greatest martyr wins. And you know, we all mm-hmm. grow up in environments that that will teach us some sort of. Um, uh, cultural, you know, societal, whatever's norm, whatever's normal for that group, you know, whether it's a family, whether it's a religion, whether it's a, uh, you know, a neighborhood, you know, like it's, it's interesting. Right. And if, if we don't ever look at that and question that, does it, is it, is it a contribution to us? Does it, does it feed our aliveness? Is it something that's actually a really constricting and restricting to my life? Am I, living at the effect of it, even though I don't necessarily, like I can tell that it's not, it's not actually um, a contribution to my life, but I keep living by that rule. I keep living by that, even though I'm, I'm, I'm it, it might, um, like there's something about following the rules that crushes us. 
and we and we'll follow the rules or we'll follow the dictates even though it's crushing us and we can feel ourselves dying inside a little bit every day in order to live up to and adapt ourselves to what is expected you know i mean i i just can't my interesting point of view i can't see where being a martyr sacrificing yourself entirely for other is ever a contribution um in a way that is like going to feed my aliveness. I, I, in this 10 seconds, just saying, can't see that. So the whole thing, it doesn't have to be either or, right? It doesn't have to be either or. We can actually be aware enough to include like, yes, my, my desires, my, what I, what I prefer, whatever can actually be included um, and I think that's where we get we get hung up and start, you know, dying a little bit inside every day. I see a lot of people. I've worked with a lot of clients. It's this, yeah. there's a lot of yabbats in there. You know, there's lots of yabbats. As soon as you start saying, <laughs> "What if you were to make yourself the primary person in your life?" and they're like, "Well, yeah, but you know, that someone's going to get upset about it. I won't be able to." Our identity, our very identity, gets caught up in that. I won't be able to be the person who wins the martyrdom contest anymore. And, you know, somebody might stop loving me. Somebody, you know, people might go away from my life. Someone's going to be disappointed in me. Someone's going to be. So these are all the yeah, but that, that if you start introducing this idea that what if you be primary in your life and, and not in that way where you discard and dismiss everybody else, but where you include them. There, there is a way of living, and that's what I've discovered, is that there is a way of living that's inclusive that doesn't, that doesn't require me to sacrifice myself. Right. Absolutely. And here's, my, here's an example that I play out that I did not realize was a yabbit that I used as an excuse for so many years, and that was I – with okay, so lots of siblings, lots of family dynamic and lots of gatherings and different people have different likes when it comes to food and different, you know, I, like my stepfather hates the smell of broccoli. So for my mom who loves broccoli to cook broccoli, she would sit through a meal and following the meal of him talking about how this house stinks. Okay. So he was just like, this is, it's horrible. It smells so bad. How can you eat that? Well, so what happened was Broccoli was removed. It was not what we had. And that's okay when you consider, okay, keeping the peace. I can see why we wouldn't want to upset half the family. It doesn't like a certain smell or whatever. I can yeah, but all that till the, you know, cows come home. I can see that. I was raised in it. And then I left that environment. <laughs> and then I went back and visited. And I watched as there was this very fascinating. Um, one of my children don't like this, so everybody will not have this item. And it would happen at family functions, or I'd go see friends, and I would see that, you know, well, they don't like spicy things. So instead of separating a portion of food and not adding the spice, nobody got spice on the food. And I remember just watching, being so fascinated of, okay, this is either or, this is black and white. Is there an and here? And I remember it was, oh, I don't know, a year ago or so, I was making a potato salad. And there's a certain way that I make it, and a lot of people like it. And so when I have a barbecue or we have a get-together, people will say, will you please do your potato salad? We'd love if you would have potato salad. Okay, great, no problem. Well, what had happened is a friend had come into my life, 
And I became aware, not because she inflicted on me, but because she just omitted eggs from everything she had, that she did not like eggs. And so I'm making this potato salad, and I'm to the point where I'm about to add a ton of eggs because I love eggs in my salad. And I look down at the bowl, and I'm like, oh. And I pull out a serving, a side bowl of everything, and then I add the potato salad, and then I add all of the dressing, stir it up, dress it up. And when everybody is there and arrives and the potato salad's out, she didn't say, Oh, I hate eggs. She didn't inform everybody at the party that she hated eggs. She would never eat my potato salad. She just simply walked past it at the buffet table. That was it. It was not a thing. Nobody had to know. There was not a big deal made. However, what I did notice is when I went to the fridge and said, hey, this is yours, by the way, and just hand it to her, smiled and walked away, tears filled her eyes. Because she Mm -hmm. was acknowledged. She didn't make a big damn deal about it in order to get acknowledged. She just, and, and I noticed when it wasn't inflicted on me, I was so happy to make an adjustment or pull some to the side. But if she had been like, oh, I know, I honestly don't think that my, I would not have seen that as kind to create a special salad for her if it had been something she demanded. But because it was something she just simply was willing to accommodate herself, I thought, oh, this is actually a kindness I can offer. Well, it's so funny. I'm listening to you share that, and I'm thinking about how in my family that that um, impulse to accommodate was not actually allowed. So if there was a meal made, you were going to eat that or you were going to go hungry because the message was, why should we accommodate you? What makes you so important that we should change what we're doing to accommodate you? Who do you think you are? You think you're special? It was like, I mean, that those words never came out, but that was uh-huh. the message. It was like, look. This is what's being served. If you don't like it, then you're going to go hungry because you are not special and we shouldn't accommodate you. And I know that comes from, well, I'm, I'm going to sense that that comes from a military background where you just suck it up and take it. And that yep. is where, I mean, that, that is a lot of people's, uh, it's embedded in their, in their reality is that I'm just supposed to suck it up and take it. I mean, that's, that's where I came from. So, yeah. so shifting from this, just suck it up and take it, because who am I to ask for something different, to desire something different? I'm not special. Don't make myself self-important. <laughs> to shift from that place, because that's truly where I was growing up and into my 20s, and, and actually begin to open up to what, <laughs> what you, <laughs> I think, is the key here, is receiving. <laughs> I learned from that experience that why should you receive anything? It was kind of yeah. that message, like, you, you're not special. You're not better than everybody else. Why should you get something special? Why should you receive anything? Like, and it was like, oh, okay. So I learned to expect nothing, and I learned not to right. ask anything. Like, I, it was like it was already pre- predetermined the answer was going to be no or I was going to be shamed for wanting something yeah. different, asking for something different. So it has taken me a long time to be able to open up to the possibility that that's not true. 
that environment, those beliefs, that way that, because I, I internalize all of that. I internalize all of that. Who am I to think that I should get something tonight, that I should receive something different than what everybody else is receiving? And I have um, I, I, just a little uh, story to kind of um, illustrate that is I, yeah. um, 12 years ago, <clears throat> just, I, my ex-husband and I decided to build a house. And um, it was quite an adventure. And so we, we went ahead, you know, took a year, built the house. It's all ready. Got the, you know, permit to move, whatever, the sign-off to move in. And, and, and he's like, okay, well, let's go move in. And I was like, I panicked. I panicked. Oh. And I couldn't do it. Like, I, I would get, I would shake. I would get sweaty. I, w- I would make up every excuse in the book. I'm like, well, you know, it's, the builder still needs to come back and do, you know, a little thing here, a little thing there. Let's just wait until until that's all done. He's like, He's like, you know, honey, we can we can go move in. Like, builder can still come and work on those things while we're there. And I made up every excuse in the book. The truth of the matter was, I went into how how could I possibly go live in that house? Because we designed it. It was our baby. I did all the interior design. It's it's to my to my liking, which is the opposite of what I was just sharing how my childhood growing up was. Yeah. Who am I to think? Who am I to think that I can go and live in that house when people, you know, there are people who can't even, you know, put gas in their car or put put food on their table. It was like it was like all of a sudden I was being confronted with all of those stories of who do you, who do you think you are that you're spe- so special that you should get something different or better. And I had to confront all of that, all of that in my reality. <clears throat> to be able to actually move into the house that I had just spent a year working on to build my, 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 you know, my dream home. It was, I didn't know any of that was there. It was like stepping on a landmine and then having all of this emotion just be just overwhelming. And I had never experienced anything like that before. It was coming. It was like out of the blue. I was like, why am I so terrified to go move into my own house? And, and that's what right. was revealed was that all of this, like, who am I to think that I should get that? That I should receive? That I should receive that? It really pushed oh, up against my God. threshold of receiving in a big way, big way. Wow, it's so amazing, isn't it? Like how many little things <laughs> that we take in, and they do—they become the landmines that we step on unknowingly that blow the shit up. As you were talking about that, and you saying, "Who am I?" I had this flash of my own experience of not being one of the mass of children in Utah and going on a solo trip down to visit my dad, my biological dad and stepmother and being there. And they, it was Easter morning and my stepmom comes to the doorway of the bathroom and she's got this bright yellow tote bag at the time. Yellow, everything was like my signature color because I'm joy child, you know. And it was like, okay, it's bright yellow. And she said, look what the Easter bunny brought. And I said, that's really cute. I remember literally in my mind going, um, it's, I don't know what to say. And she stood there and looked at me and said, do you like it? And I said, I really do. And she walked over, laid it on the bed, and said, ungrateful bitch. I didn't even know it could have been mine. I didn't know she was actually saying, Easter Bunny brought this for you. It was so off my radar. I thought she was showing me what the Easter Bunny brought her. Wow. <laughs> I was like 14. 
<laughs> it was so foreign to me to be special that I was like, yeah, it's cute. And I was ungrateful bitch because I didn't even think it could have been mine. I literally, like as a 14-year-old, I was thinking, oh, are you showing me what you got from, for Easter? I didn't even think there was a gift for me. Wow. Right. And so if you're saying, who are you? And I'm saying, yeah, I didn't even register. I'm thinking to myself, no wonder our aliveness is starving for our attention. Yeah. Is it any wonder? And the only way that, I mean, the thing is, it's not going to happen unless we choose it. Like, I could have just yeah. gone living the rest of my life in that tiny, 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 tiny little threshold of receiving and just hoped that maybe someday would, someone would notice me and maybe, you know, be kind or care or, or give me mm-hmm. something. I, I could have lived the rest of my life like that. And I see many people living just like that, hoping, wishing, yeah. maybe someone will notice me someday. We have to be the ones that say, you know what? I matter. I matter. And and my yeah. desires matter. My needs matter. What I want to create in the world matters. Like my life designed on my terms, the way I'd like to create it, that matters. And that's okay to desire to create a life that works for me, to not just accommodate everybody else, not to do the noble sacrifice thing, to, to actually say, you know what, this is, this is my life. I'm here on the planet. Mm-hmm. I get to create and choose what works for me. Um, like we have to give ourselves that permission to, to, uh, to do that. <laughs> Cause no one else is going to come along like, and you know, like a, like a being knighted and, you know, hit you with their, their fairy magic wand and say, okay, now it's okay for you to go and have what you want. No one's going to do that. You've got to claim no. it for yourself, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. And, and there's a million. Yeah. But, on, but- Pour through my head. Great. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. there might be a million mm-hmm. yeah buts, and, but we have to be the ones that are willing to sit in the discomfort of claiming our life back. Amazing yeah. how incredibly uncomfortable that can be when you're standing there and, you're, and you're, uh, your pattern is to give yourself up for somebody else. Your pattern of, oh, I don't want to disappoint them. Like, I hear that. Oh, that's a huge yeah, but. Such a common yeah, but. Yeah, but I don't <laughs> want to disappoint them. You know? And, yep. and I remember another, another illustrative story. Uh, 18 years ago, I decided to quit a, a corporate job that I had had for about five and a half years. And where I was living in Tahoe, it was considered a, you know, like, prime job. I had full 401K, health benefits, you know, full full time, great, great pay, all of that stuff. And in a in a trans in a resort town that's very transient, that's not common. So I had this right. great job, and I decided I was going to quit. And I remember telling my father, "This is this is my big mistake." We were coming, we were driving in the car several hours back from a wedding, and it was just he and I. And I I decided to reveal that I was going to quit my job at that moment, and that I that was you know because now he's got me <laughs> as his captive audience to give me his point of view for the next two hours, you know. And at the end of it, yeah, at the end of it he says to me, yeah, at the end of it, he says to me, well, 
you know, you're going to do whatever you're going to do, but if you quit your, this job, I'm going to be really disappointed. And let me tell you, that's shaming somebody. When you say to somebody, if you choose that, I'm going to be really disappointed in you, that is a form of shame. You are shaming that person. And so we get so um, used to, desensitized to people shaming us all the time that we're like, oh, yeah, I can't disappoint someone. I can't disappoint them. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but I can't disappoint them. I can't disappoint them. I can't live my life for me for fear that it would disappoint somebody who has all these expectations of what I should be, do, and choose in my life. And I remember in that moment when my father said that to me, I, I didn't say this out loud <laughs> to him, but oh. I remember <laughs> it was like the first time that in, my, in myself I was like, well, it's a good thing I'm not living my life for you then because I'm quitting this job. Oh. This is, whether you're disappointed or not, I'm quitting this job because this is what I'm choosing to do. And, and I didn't have the courage at that time to say it out loud but I at least had the courage to make the choice for me. And somewhere, some way, somehow, we've got to find the courage to be in the discomfort of, of uh, receiving whatever, everybody, whatever other people's point of view is going to be about what we choose. It's our life. Yes, it is. Wow, that hit so hard. Um, the, the impact of that, it's a good thing I am living my life for me and not you. That is such a, a life changer. When we realize we're not living for ourselves, that can really be a shock to our system. I, I don't even know because this is one of those things. You don't know it until you know. You don't know that you are literally living for other people until you realize you're not living for yourself. And that does unearth all of those yabbats and all of those programs. And it does upset the apple cart. Absolutely. And the moment you realize it, you can't, you can't deny it anymore. And I see so much angst in people. You know, you've really disappointed me. You've really disappointed your father. He can't talk to you right now. Like that kind of, <laughs> that kind of crap. And when I realized that, when I realized, oh, my gosh, my kids are the ones who taught it to me. We had quit going to church. My kids had been trying to pretend and hide it from, you know, grandma don't want to upset and all these things. And we'd gone on with that bucket list I spoke of yesterday of, well, you better get to living. And so my daughter had gotten her first tattoo. And I can remember we were in a family wedding. And one of her aunts said, so let's see the tattoo revealing to the entire family of anti-body art that she had a tattoo. And the wash of shame that I witnessed my daughter nearly drowned in. Let me tell you, this mama bear was a shark, man. I was going to tear somebody up to witness that. And she wrestled with it. She was angry. She was hurt. She cried. She walked away from the table. She was so terrified of upsetting my mother because we've been keeping it a secret that we weren't going to church, that it, that was the day that I said, okay, here's the deal. Yeah, she has a tattoo and I signed for it. We're not going to church. We're not going back. So I just want you to know so there's never a question again because I realized we were living a lie because my mother would be upset by our truth. And well, being able to do that took our lives back. It took, it was like, mom, this is not against you, mom. This is for us. 
I get it. You're not going to love it. So I'm going to let you know now so you can process it. Not at a wedding next time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So when I consider that, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, when I consider that, how simple it was, actually how unkind it was for me to lie to my mother every single time I saw her. I thought I was protecting her, but actually just being able to be truthful with her, she could have had time to adjust to the truth. And so what we think we're protecting people from really is not kind. It's not honoring. Well, and not to mention the unkindness of um, not revealing what's, what is true for you, like keeping that secret, keeping that secret uh, in order to protect, like, I have to I have to pretend something else is true in order to protect the situation. What what I find is uh for me personally, one of the things that was most uh terrifying to me was to do something that would create rupture in the relationship. And when you when you grow up in an environment when I grew up in an environment where when people are constantly like, Well if you don't do what I want you to do I'm going to actually withdraw my care for you, my love for you, my approval, like whatever. I'm going to take it away. So we, they use it as a way to manipulate. It's either be, be who I want you to be, do who I want, behave how I want you to behave, choose what I want you to choose, or I'm going to withdraw. I'm literally just, I'm going to stop speaking to you. I'm going to, you know, like whatever it is, that to me, that rupture uh, was the most terrifying thing. So for um, uh, uh, most of my life, I would keep it to myself. I would I would keep oh. things secret. I lived under the radar. I would let people believe what they wanted to believe about me because I was so terrified of the rupture. And now that's a that's an interesting yeah. space to navigate, right? Because it's not about. Right. I, I mean, I was I was the rebel for a long time. So so there was kind of like this. You know, in some ways it was like, this is who I am, and if you don't like it, fuck it. You know, fuck you. Like that, like that, (laughs) that really doesn't work either. You know what I mean? No. (laughs) And I see a lot of people kind of doing this pendulum swing where it's like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to hide who I am entirely from you because I'm, I fear that if I do actually reveal myself to you, there's going to be rupture in this relationship. You will, you know, you will completely withdraw from my life. You will stop speaking to me. I see that happen all the time. Um, and, and yeah. you know, when, when there's a dominant person in the relationship, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a, a family, adult, child relationship. But if there's somebody who's sort of taking a dominant role and is, like, uh, trying to manipulate and control how that relationship goes, they will often use that withdrawal as a way to manipulate. Well, you know, be, do, and choose something I don't like, and <laughs> you're going to lose me. You're going to lose my love. Right. You're going to lose my approval. You're going to lose my care. You're going to lose my financial support, whatever it is. And so that was very concerning to me. But then I kind of swung to the other end of the pendulum and I was, and I finally kind of was like, okay, I'm not going to hide myself anymore. But it, it went to this, this proving energy. Like, yeah, I'm going to prove that I have the right to be who I am. And if you don't like it, fuck you. And that didn't work yeah. at all either. <laughs> That's a fun pendulum swing, man. I've done that a few yeah. times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, and it it really, and a lot of people are like, I'm so free, I do what the fuck I want. 
Okay, great. And, you know, really, how old are you right now? Oh, I'm 14, damn it. But I can drink alcohol. Watch me. You know, it's like this grown-up acting out that that angst. And, and it makes me giggle because I played it out so beautifully. I'm really just an awesome rebel. And it really isn't feeding my aliveness. It's feeding my rebellion or my adrenaline. But it's not my aliveness. I'm just trying to find my footing and sometimes I do find that for me as an Aries in particular, I'm really good at bursting through and I kind of overleap the target a little bit and I got to back it up and go, <laughs> that was fun, you know? And so I notice I have that pattern in myself, but to find where the edges are to swing and go wide and make a mess and get dirty and get messy makes it so that when I do land and choose, I'm going to be me, and that aliveness just welcomes me home to me. It is so distinct from what I've been flailing about in, it's undeniable. And for me, that's my experience anyway. Yeah, and I was, you know, I talked about this a little bit yesterday or the day before. I don't know. Kind of that, um, <laughs> and sometimes when, when you hear somebody so for, for our listeners, if this is happening to you, maybe it is, maybe, but if you're listening to us and you find yourself being a little bit perplexed about, because you don't know what we're, I mean, if you haven't chosen something yet, if you, if you haven't had an experience, if you haven't lived something, we oftentimes try to grasp it with our mind, right? We try and think about, well, what is, what is that like? What are they talking about? What was that? This this living your aliveness thing, you know, I haven't really lived that. I haven't, I don't, I'm kind of trying to grab onto it with my mind and understand what they're talking about. And, and when you haven't, I mean, this is true for me. When people would talk to me about something that uh, was a, was a greater experience of living. If I didn't really get it, I, I would find myself. And I said this the other day, it's like, well, but why should I choose that? Like, what's the, we tend to yeah. be very utilitarian very our minds especially everything is about uh the the usefulness of it like well, what's the use of that like what what would be the benefit to my life if i would do that if i if i'm listening to you and i don't really get what you're talking about what what, what would be the benefit and i see a lot of people you know they're just like since i can't my, since i my my mind can't grasp a benefit of like why that would be something uh that i want to add or change or enhance my life uh-huh. with they tend to just sort of pass it by, dismiss it, kind of like, "Mm, yeah, maybe, I don't know. If you find yourself in that place, it's, it's not something you can grasp with your mind. It's a thing you have to actually ask to, um, to experience. And so one of the things that, that has been a really useful um, way of getting past my mind and my, my mind's uh, very, very com- way of just like dismissing is like oh it's it's very like black and white my mind and yeah. and so I'd be like okay I don't really get that I don't really understand it I don't, it's very foreign to me but so show me so show me what it might be like if I was actually willing to to make myself to put myself in the driver's seat of my life to give up my yeah buts to actually you know allow life to live through me that to allow seducing aliveness to do me. To, to make feeding my aliveness a priority in my life, 
show me what that would be like because my mind is not going to, I can't get there from my mind. My mind could think about it, contemplate it, most likely in the end dismiss it if I can't figure out the benefit and usefulness of it. But if I ask to be shown every single time I have asked to be shown something that I can't grasp with my mind, that I can't understand, I have been gifted with an awareness of what that is. And that's the thing. Until you have a taste, until you have something to kind of go, oh, oh, like the other day when I was talking about, you know, like I had to, I had to find a way to um, make life worth living, <laughs> you know, and it was yeah. a little bit, I didn't have that back then. I didn't have this like show me thing, but I was like, I was on a quest. And so if something is so foreign to you and so unfamiliar and so far off your radar, like you were just describing that, that story with, you know, it didn't even occur to you that that could yeah. be a gift. If it's not even, a, if it's, if it's so far out of your reality that it, you can't even fathom what life would be like to live your aliveness, kind of what we've been talking about the last three days and we'll continue to talk about. Show me. <laughs> Show me. Yeah. Show me. That is so juicy. It is one of my favorite questions, and I love that we both live that. If we get in a space of, I don't under, I can't, I can't even fathom this, and it's not that I, I don't want to dismiss it for somebody. Show me what I'm not aware of. Show me what I'm not aware of because what I find is most of the time when I get wonky or clunky or I'm off, whatever you want to call it, and something is not flowing, maybe I'm bitchy, maybe I'm short, maybe I'm extra fatigued, whatever it is, I always ask, show me what am I not aware of here. Show me what it's like. Show me what my aliveness is desiring. What is it requiring for me? I just said it this morning, sitting on the couch with Sherry having coffee. I'm like, boy, I got to find out what my body's needing because I'm feeling that it, it is lacking in something. So I'm like, show me what I need to keep this sustainable energy going on because I'm just noticing there's a lag in my system. That's all it is. It's, and I'm not sitting there going, okay, you got five seconds, tick tock, tick tock. Oh, universe failed. Way to go, asshole. Let me down again. Like, I'm not doing that. I'm going, I ask a question, and I go out, and I experience things and allow it to bubble up to me and reveal to me. Because a lot of times what I think, um, well, I know I've witnessed, but there is a yeah but about the demands and expectations of what aliveness should look like because you see it in somebody else looking a certain way. And mm. if, if you're listening to this and you think your aliveness is going to look like ours, you have to understand ours doesn't even look like each other's. <laughs> Mine doesn't look like my wife's. I mean, like <laughs> we're so different, you guys. But that's the gift. That's the yummy part is when I think about, gosh, I don't want to ask for an extra piece of cake because I wouldn't want to be selfish. When I'm talking about what feeds my aliveness, it doesn't feed everybody's aliveness. There's no shortage in the universe. You know, there's no counting toilet paper squares or scoops of ice cream. There's plenty. <laughs> so if you're feeling like there's any way that there would be a shortage of what it is that feeds your aliveness, just understand you're just showing yourself one of those landmines, one of those lies, those beliefs that you've got in your way of choosing it. Yeah. Because once you choose <clears throat> then, it, that shit blows up. Go ahead. 
Well, I was going to say, it's almost like how, how can you how do you know when you're not feeding your aliveness? And I would say that there's um, there's many symptoms, right? <laughs> like there's lots of symptoms and um, anxiety, what what people would commonly call anxiety, uh, resentment, um, bitterness, regret, um, like all kinds of symptoms out there. And you can you can look in the world and you can see that this is an epidemic. This is an epidemic <laughs> yes. of people not feeding their aliveness, not putting their attention on what would be joyful for them and allow them to live a life that was just so worth living for, that they're so grateful for every day. They're just like, I'm just grateful to be alive. So yes. if, if you notice that, you know, your daily, your daily mood is, is one of um, blame and resentment and, you know, like a lot of these things, it's like, you might want to start asking your question, yourself the question, where am I ignoring my aliveness? Where am I, you know, making all these other things, priorities, important, whatever. Um, and, and again, if, if you don't, if you, if you can't grasp, why should I even choose to feed my aliveness? Why should I even choose to turn me and my life on? Show me, show me what life would be like if I chose to allow myself to be more alive. <clears throat> wow. That is so good. Um, all right. There's one particular area that I really want to talk about this feeding our aliveness. And it's an area that most people spend a ton of time in. And that is social media. And uh. Yeah, when you think about, and it's just an example. So if you're like, I don't, I don't um, <laughs> do social media, just, it's just an example, okay? But what do you do and spend most of your time, energy, and attention on? And is that thing feeding your aliveness? And let me give you an example of Facebook, okay? Let's, let's just use that. <laughs> if I, I see a lot of people who say, oh, you know, I'm addicted to Facebook or, oh, I can't stand Facebook. So negative. I always wonder, how is your Facebook negative? When did you decide you can't control what comes in on your Facebook feed? <laughs> and when, when you and I were talking about Facebook, you gave a great example. And I would love for you to share how you in particular keep your Facebook and your friends list fresh. Because oh my gosh. I will, for one, it cracked my shit up totally. But for another, I thought, that is fucking brilliant. So how do you keep your Facebook full of people and events that you like? Oh, my God. This is hilarious. You start, as you start saying that, I'm like, what's she talking about? I don't even remember. What's she talking about? And then it clicked. And I was like, oh, yeah. I did tell her that. Yeah, this to me is you taking control. You making the choice of what's in your Facebook feed. Well, I've always been uh, a little puzzled by people who say, you know, I can't, I can't stand Facebook or, or I don't know. To me, everything's a contribution because I'm, I'm in charge. I'm in charge now. No, that wasn't always so, but that's another show. Um, I'm in charge. So if, you know, if Facebook, if I, like, I, I have 5,000 friends. I've had 5,000 friends for years. That's the maximum friends you can have. And I could go open another account like many people do, but I really don't want to. One account is plenty for me. I don't uh, so, so, you know, I, I periodically, I'm like, well, I need to kind of call the group, right? Like what's going on in here? Some people are 
So I know this is hilarious, but how do I choose every day? Facebook alerts you and says, you know, here's the people who have birthdays that day. And I'm like, great. I'll go in there, wish my friends happy birthday. But then there's off, there's a bunch of people down there that I don't, I'm like, I don't know that person personally. I don't remember meeting them. I'm not sure how we became best Facebook friends. So I take a little peek at their, at their page, what they're posting, what they're about, you know, when was the last time I posted, whatever. And I'm like, there you go. There you go. <laughs> so I'm constantly changing my fa- the energy of my Facebook group by choosing who I'm going to be friends with. Um, based on what they're sharing, how often they're sharing, is it? And, and it, this is not a judgment to them. It's just, it's just, what do I want to see? What, what, what feeds my aliveness? And, and I, you know, like there are certain things I love to see on on Facebook, and and it's it's my experience. I get to be in command of it. Uh-huh. I get to be in charge of it. So there you go. That's my little. <laughs> somebody's birth date as the disconnect <laughs> date <laughs> because you've discovered they don't feed your aliveness. Like that to me is the irony of not like you broke your give a damn. You're not making it personal. Oh, don't want to hurt their feelings on, on their birthday mm. by unfriending them. Like that's an ultimate. Yeah. But right. Oh, I got to wait till after it's their birthday. Then I will give them the ax. Like, I love that you don't do that, but it was when we talked about it, it was such a perfect example of people not realizing they create their environment. You create mm-hmm. what's feeding your aliveness. And if you are, have even your Facebook feed full of obligation and family DNA and you hate it and it feels negative and you're getting all these things that have nothing to do with what you like or what brings you joy, this is a great place to start being in charge of your own life and your own aliveness. <laughs> It's it's really a perfect metaphor. I mean, you could use my little story about how I do that on Facebook as a metaphor because really that's how I live my life. I'm constantly looking at my whole life, the people that I that I choose to spend time with, the things that I do. I'm constantly looking at that and saying, does this feed my aliveness or not? And my life is – I mean, I remember in uh, the year that I stopped drinking, I had a, a girlfriend at the time who was – she was my drinking buddy. Like we were, we were, she was my best friend. We did everything together. She was my drinking buddy. And I realized if I stop drinking, I don't know how to be friends with her. Like, I don't know right. what kind of relationship we would have if we weren't party girls. Cause that was, that was the life that we lived together. And I didn't handle it very well. I didn't talk to her about it. I was just like, well, I don't think we could be friends anymore because I don't know how I'd be friends with you if I'm not going to choose to drink anymore. Um, but and at that time, I remember thinking, and, you know, I think I'd like to up-level up my, my, my quality of friendship anyway. So that's what I chose to do that. I am constantly looking at the experience that I'm having, and maybe this is just weird for me. I don't know. But I am constantly looking at the experience I'm having and saying, is this really what I want or is something greater possible? And not to make things wrong, but just to constantly be in that, that expansion of aliveness because I know – it's, it, it can always be, there can always be more. I mean, you, to go from a place of wanting not to be here on the planet and attempting suicide to be like, wow, how much greater can this get? This is amazing. And it just keeps like getting greater and greater and greater because I'm always looking around and going, what else is possible? And, you know, or I could just stop at some point and go, well, this is as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is it. That's all you get. No more. 
you're not dead yet, but this is it. <laughs> Just endure with what you got. <laughs> yeah. I can't even yeah. imagine. <sighs> so, so to our listeners, that is a great just something to ponder, just to think about, just to really get curious about like, wow, where in your life are you feeding your aliveness with stale things, with things that drain you? Mm. What are you trying Mm. to feed your aliveness that is actually killing it? Which is what we're going to be talking about tomorrow is the things that kill our aliveness. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, so just to consider, just for today, the next 24 hours, whatever day it is you're listening to this, so hello to all of the archive listeners, glad to have you here, Um, whatever day it is, for the next 24 hours, are you willing to ask, universe, God, whatever your word is, show me, show Mm -hmm. me what feeds my aliveness, make it so distinct in my experience that I cannot deny it. I double dog dare show you me. that. Yeah, <laughs> like what, what, what are the things that feed my aliveness that perhaps I've not even been allowing because I've, I've got some yabut in my world. Yeah, yeah, but that would be too much time, you know, invested in me. Yeah, but that would be too much money invested in me. Yeah, but I can't be that selfish. Yeah, but like what are the things that truly do feed your aliveness that you've been holding at bay? And not allowing yeah. you to feed your lives, even though you know they would. <laughs> right? Yeah, but you're, you're, the yeah, but is, I know it'd feed my aliveness, but it might make my friend jealous, or it might make my mother uncomfortable, or yeah. it might make my sibling, you know, angry, or whatever that is. See what yeah, but's come up, because that's where we start. That's where we start. Yeah. That's just mm-hmm. the beginning. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I think that this is a great conversation, and I love that you're going to go in and float now. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, so thank you to everybody for being here. We've got, you know, just two minutes. Is there anything that wants to be said before we wrap up? This is just feels percolating, bubbly. I like it. Mm, I, I'm enjoying the flow. Uh, that the, the that our first three shows have taken, <laughs> and I love that tomorrow's uh, topic, killing your aliveness, uh, diving deeper into that. We touched on that here and there in today's show, but we're going to open up that can of worms. Oh my! <laughs> we're going to go there. Right, that's juicy. <laughs> we're diving we're in. Looks <laughs> dangerous. Oh, I'll go so first. good. <laughs> Uh, yeah, exactly. Stand back. We don't know how big this mess is going to get. <laughs> but, but, you know, honestly, wow. I think that was one of the things that, that we really, when we talked about this, creating this show is because so many times in my life, I had experiences like you shared where it was like, wow, it just didn't even occur to me. That didn't even occur to me that that was a choice, that that was a possibility that I could do uh-huh. that. It just didn't occur to me. And that's part of these conversations that I enjoy so much is inviting people to see what may have never occurred to you before. And now that it's been introduced into your world, what impact can that create? What choice can you now make that maybe you didn't know you could make before? Oh, 
fabulous invitation. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here to everybody. And and enjoy your float, you guys. You know, we'll be back tomorrow to talk more about the topic of seducing aliveness. Yeah. <laughs> we will talk day. to you then. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.